And we're going to turn to Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians even, chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 on page 1163. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I'm going to start reading from verse 8. Just before this passage, the Apostle Paul's been encouraging the Corinthians to give, having given the example of the Macedonian Christians and their giving. So from verse 8. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Let's pray as we come to think about this passage a little bit more. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a speaking God, that you speak to us through your word, and we pray that your spirit would be at work in us this evening, helping us to understand what it is that you have to say to us through it. Amen. Well, last Sunday, Paul was speaking to us on giving, as he's already said to you this evening, and I don't know uh, how you felt in response to that, or perhaps if you weren't there, how you feel at all about the fact that we're talking about giving on these two Sundays. Uh, maybe your fingers are tightening around your wallets and purses, at least, at least mentally, even if not physically, although though perhaps physically you might be thinking, this is my money, hands off. Or maybe you're joyful. I was speaking to someone a few weeks ago who'd received an inheritance, and they decided that they wanted to give some of that inheritance away, and they decided on a, on a particular percentage that they thought would be good, and after they'd calculated the amount that they would be giving away in light of that, which wasn't an inconsiderable sum, they, they were really joyful about that. They were delighted uh, that they had that money to give away. And maybe you're feeling like that. Maybe you're feeling joyful in light of the coming year's giving. Maybe, though, you're feeling quite anxious about it. You're really not uh, in the best financial position. Money's a bit tight. You really don't know what the year ahead is going to look like financially. Should you be giving at all? What will be the consequences if you do? Or, again, maybe you feel quite duty-bound. You, you might have gone home last week thinking that, yes, probably you should increase your giving uh, in, in line with inflation because you're a Christian and Christians are supposed to give, so that's probably what you should do. I think it's pretty safe to say that no matter how you felt when encouraged to give, you're not alone in feeling that way. Other people have felt that way before, and I'm pretty sure that some of the people that have felt that way are those that originally heard this letter when it was first read out to the Corinthian church almost 2,000 years ago. 
I don't know what you think of when you think of the Corinthian Christians. Perhaps you never think of the Corinthian Christians. But they were real people. They didn't spend all of their time listening to letters being read to them by, uh, from apostles. They had lives as well. They had jobs. They had incomes and expenditures. They certainly did have different lives from us in some ways, but in other ways, their lives were very similar to ours. And here, Paul has just encouraged them to give. That's the Apostle Paul. Our Paul encouraged us to give last week. This is the Apostle Paul encouraging the Corinthians to give. The Apostle Paul said at the beginning of chapter 8, hey guys, the Christians in Macedonia, they're having a really tough time of it. They've got masses and masses of joy, but financially, they're at rock bottom. And that combination has perhaps surprisingly led to generosity in them. They've given even more than they can afford, even though they had so little to begin with, in order that the Christians in Jerusalem, who were having an even harder time, uh, might have some relief. Now, you Corinthian Christians, you've been given so much. You've been given faith and speech and knowledge and earnestness and joy and love. Don't, having been given all of this, now fail to give yourselves. And this is actually quite a tense moment. It's not a kind of relational void that Paul is writing into. Things had been a little bit awkward between Paul and the Corinthian Christians recently. We call 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians for the quite logical reason that it's the second letter to the Corinthians that we have in the New Testament. But perhaps counterintuitively, it's not the second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Paul wrote at least four letters to the Corinthian church. Paul first met them when he himself went to Corinth. He spent some time there in Corinth with with people, teaching them the gospel, uh, teaching them about Jesus. Then he went away, and as a kind of follow-up, he wrote them a letter. And we know he wrote that letter, but we don't have it. We don't have a copy of it, except that we know that he wrote it to them. They were a little bit confused by it. They wanted some, some points clarified, had a few questions. And so Paul wrote them another letter, which is the letter that we have in our Bibles as 1 Corinthians. They got that letter, all seemed well, but it seems that sometime after that, the Christians in Corinth went off the rails a bit. They weren't living the way God wanted them to. They weren't living the way that Paul had taught them to. Things seemed to have gotten pretty bad. And then Paul made another visit in person to Corinth, and it was not a good visit. Uh, It didn't go well on either side. Paul left, and it seems like nothing really good came out of that visit. But Paul then wrote them another letter. This is at least letter number three. Again, we don't have it, but we're told a little bit about it earlier on uh, in 2 Corinthians. And it seems like it was a really no-nonsense letter, quite, quite stern, quite to the point. And it grieved the Corinthians to, to hear it. They, they were saddened by it, but it also caused them to repent. So wonderfully, the Christians have repented, they've turned from their wrong ways, and now Paul writes them this letter, which is 2 Corinthians. Despite their difficult relationship, Paul really did love them. He was really persevering with them. And this is the moment of truth, really. They've repented, but will that show in their lives? Will they live as Christians, Christ-like lives? Part of that will include giving. 
Paul has just instructed them to do it. He's just encouraged them to give. And having given that encouragement at the beginning of chapter 8, as we go on into our passage today, Paul sets up what I've been thinking of as a kind of picket line, a mental picket line inside their heads to stop them from straying into wrong thinking about giving. There are various directions they could go in to think wrongly about giving, but in in each direction, Paul heads them off at the pass and stops them from thinking wrongly. In this, this picket line he sets up, there are different placards that the imaginary little people are holding with different slogans on them, and we're going to think about three of those slogans uh, as we look at this passage. The first of those slogans on the placards is this, love not law. This is the first placard in Paul's picket line to stop the Corinthians from thinking wrongly about giving. Love not law. Can you see them marching and, and chanting? Love not law. Have a look down at verse 8 of chapter 8. It says this, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Paul is not being legalistic about giving here. He's not giving the Corinthians a rule book which details all the where's and the when's and the how much's of giving and expecting them to follow it to the letter. That's not how it should work. No, Paul is not giving them a rule book. He's saying, show me your love, Corinthians. I'm aware that this reference is slightly out of date now, but I can't help but think of the film Jerry Maguire Maguire, and Tom Cruise as Jerry Maguire shouting into the phone, show me the money. Paul is not doing that. He's not writing to the Corinthians saying, show me the money. He's saying, show me the love. And sure, in this instance, it's going to look like money, but it can't just be money. In fact, the Corinthians should already know this. They should know how important love is because Paul's already written to them about it. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 3, Paul wrote to them, If I give all my possessions to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, don't get me wrong. Paul does want the Corinthians to give money. He's just told them to do it, but he wants them to do that out of a place of love. He's just given the Corinthians the example of the Christians in the Macedonian churches. Uh, That's that's the, the Philippians and the Thessalonians and people like that, who were so loving towards their fellow Christians that they begged to give money. They begged Paul to be able to give money to support their fellow Christians in Jerusalem. Can you imagine that? People begging to give, even though they were poor themselves, to support other Christians who were even poorer. Now, I suppose the Corinthians might have been thinking to themselves, as this letter was read out, that's all well and good for the Macedonian Christians, Paul. They have hardly anything to begin with. So when they give, they're not going to be giving much money, are they? But no doubt you're going to want us to give more than that because we have more money than those Macedonian Christians. And it's true that the actual sum that the Macedonian churches could have given can't have been that great because of their financial situation. But though not being great financially, it was still of great significance. If you want to think a little bit more about that in particular, then I'd encourage you to go to the website and go to a sermon from a year ago when Mark was preaching to us on the widow's offering. Uh, That was on the 8th of October last year, if you want to look at that. 
But if the Corinthians were thinking that, uh, the Corinthians who as a church were far wealthier than the churches in Macedonia, if they were thinking about that, they can't be allowed to think that for long because Paul heads them off at that pass, if you like. Having already given them one example of loving giving, he goes on to give them another one. Have a look down at verse 9. And if you're looking for a memory verse, by the way, this is a great one. If you want to, want to think of a Bible verse to memorize, then th- this would be a good option, kind of summary of the gospel in one verse. This is what Paul writes. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty, uh, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What a wonderful, wonderful verse. The Corinthians as a church would have been well off uh, financially, humanly speaking, but their wealth was nothing in comparison uh, to the wealth that Christ had before he became human. From eternity, he had always been God the Son, one uh, with God the Father, equal with him in, in splendor and majesty and honor. He had it all, and I mean that quite literally, We're told that everything that was created was created through him and for him. Everything was his. But unlike your standard kind of rags to riches story, this is a story of riches to rags. A great Christian, uh, a great Christmas hymn uh, that I love starts like this. Thou who wast rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake becamest poor. Thrones for a manger did surrender. Sapphire paved courts for stable floor. Great hymn, but I would pick one little bone with it. I mean, I completely understand why they go to the manger and the stable because it is a Christmas hymn. But the real depth uh, of humility that Christ went to, the real poverty he experienced, was not the manger, but the cross. Christ went from being Lord of the universe to a humble, humiliating, death-bearing, uh, sin-bearing death on the cross. And also that through that poverty he experienced, we could be rich. We could become one with him. We could be children of God forever. Paul put it like this a few chapters earlier in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 5, verse 21, when he wrote, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's an extraordinary concept. I'm just going to give you a moment in case, having thought about that, you think it would be right to thank God for it. You don't have to if you don't want to, but it might be appropriate to, to thank him now. I'm going to give you 30 seconds just in case you want to pray and thank God that he's done that for us. Go ahead. Amen. Jesus is the very best example uh, that we could possibly hope for of a loving giver. The Macedonians were a great example. Jesus is an even better one. He's the greatest example of giving based on love. But he's not just a great example for us. He's also a great motivation for us to give based on love. The love that should have motivated the Corinthians to give 
the love that should motivate us to give if we're followers of Jesus is not some vague, ethereal feeling we need to uh, work at, at working up in ourselves so that it can motivate us to give. No, it's the love of Jesus. It's firmly grounded in him and what he's done for us. If we're following him, if we know what he's done for us, if we love him as a result of that, it's that love that should motivate us to give. When we come up uh, later with our pledge cards, if you have a pledge card uh, to come up with, my, my natural feeling as I go to do that, I hope it won't be the feeling I actually have at the time, but my natural feeling will be one of two things. Either it would be, well, I'm a Christian and I know that Christians should give, so I'm going to because that's what Christians should do. And that's legalism. Or I, I might be quite pleased that I get to go and do this and that people can see me doing it because actually I'm quite a hero uh, for giving to the work of St. Mark's. That's pride. What I'll need to do, and what you'll need to do if either of those uh, ring any bells for you, is to remember love, not law. To not cross over in, into the wrong thinking of, of legalism or pride, but instead to look to Jesus. Think of what he's done. Uh, think of what he's given us. Love him and use my pledge card. You use your pledge card as a response uh, to that love. Love, though, should lead to action. Presenting our pledge, card, pledge cards isn't really an action in and of itself. It's more the promise of a future action. We're saying we're going to give rather than actually giving, I guess. We might need to remind ourselves to actually take action on that later on. Maybe to change our standing order, if that's appropriate. Maybe to set one up for January, if that's what we need to do. Wanting to give and pledging out of love uh, to do so is not actually the same as giving. And the Corinthians, it seems, needed to be reminded of this as well, which brings us to our second placard and our second slogan in the picket line. It says this, it says, put your money where your heart is. Put your money where your heart is. We're going to have a look down at verses 10 and 11. Paul goes on to write this. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have a desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. The Corinthians did seem to get it wrong quite regularly, but here's something in their favor. The previous year, they'd been the first to give. Maybe that was when the problems in Jerusalem for the Christians there had begun. And they weren't only the first to give, they were also the first to desire to give. They were the first to want to give. In fact, we find out in the next chapter, in chapter 9, that just as Paul was using the Macedonians as an example to the Corinthian Christians of loving giving, he also had used the Corinthians uh, as an example for the Macedonian Christians, as an example of having a desire to give. He doesn't want their desire, though, to remain just that, a desire. So what Paul is saying now is that it's great that they had a desire to give a year ago. That's wonderful. Uh, but that desire, now that hopefully it's been rekindled since they repented of whatever it was they'd been doing, should now uh, actually flow over into action. The desire to give should lead to them actually giving. He's telling them to put their money where their heart is. 
just as it wouldn't be good for them to give without love, as we've just been thinking about, nor would it be good for them to have the love and the desire to give without actually giving. The desire doesn't really do much by itself. Imagine if I went to my, my parents' house, and because I love them, I want to do something for them, and so I tell them that uh, I will clean out their gutters, which is actually quite an important thing to do in Australia because you don't want your house surrounded by a container of dry leaves if there's a bushfire. It's not a good situation to be in. So I tell my parents I'm going to sort that, I'm going to clear their gutters, but then I never actually get around to doing it. The desire was there. I really did want to. I love them, but I never got around to doing it. The desire didn't lead to action, which means that it wasn't much good. And it's the same for the Corinthians with their desire to give. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. And I guess that's quite an important message for us today as well. On a day when some of us will be pledging to give to St. Mark's in the coming year, uh, when we're showing willingness to do so, Let's not, at that moment when we're bringing pledge cards forward, just feel all warm and fuzzy about the fact that we're all pledging. I mean, do feel free to feel warm and fuzzy about that because it is a lovely moment. But let's also look to the future and actually plan what action we need to take in order to make it happen. What will you need to do? If you have a pledge card that you're going to bring up, think about what it says on it and think about what action you're going to have to take to make sure that you actually give the money that you're pledging to give in the coming year? What will it require you to do? When are you going to do it? These are really practical questions, uh, but Paul is never scared of being practical when it comes to talking about money. Elsewhere, he tells the Corinthians exactly when they should take up collections, and he's thought really carefully about how the money should get to the churches in Jerusalem. It's not unspiritual to think about practicalities, of money and giving. You might be thinking now, well, that's lovely, Nick, but I, and, I, and I do have a desire, but what I have a desire to do is to give St. Mark's 30,000 pounds a year, and I don't earn 30,000 pounds a year, so how am I going to put my money where my heart is? Maybe you're in a position of perhaps feeling quite disheartened because you really would love to give St. Mark's more money than you are at the moment, but you can't afford to do so. Or maybe it's the opposite of that, which I think would probably have been more likely for Paul's original hearers in Corinth. When they were first hearing this letter, maybe they were thinking, well, I'll give, but I'm certainly not going to give more money than, than so-and-so. I'm not going to give more than, than X amount, because that's how much they give, even though, as it happens, the person thinking of it had a substantial, a st- substantial amount more to give from than so-and-so. Crossing over the the mental picket line into wrong thinking in either of those directions, again, though, is, is cut off by Paul with his picket line with our third placard and our third slogan, which says this, give from what you've got. Give from what you've got. We've had love, not law. We've had put your money where your heart is. And finally, give from what you've got. Uh, I didn't actually finish reading out verse 11 earlier on. I read part of it, but all of verse 11 reads like this. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. And it goes on, according to your means. According to your means. We're to give from what we've got, not from what we don't have, which is quite a relief because that would be impossible. 
Paul goes on to say from verse 12, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Paul's, uh, the, the Corinthians uh, giving and our giving as well is acceptable to God as long as there's the willingness there according to what we have, not what we don't have. So if we are willing to give, but only have a small amount of money to give from, and so can only give a small amount, that is completely acceptable to God. If we have more to give from, and so are giving more, and are willing to do so, that also is acceptable to God. You might be thinking, that's uh, great, Nick, um, but, but please, could we cut to the chase? I sense we're kind of getting towards the end of the sermon. Can you just give us a figure, please? It'll make it really helpful. Can we just have a percentage? And the short answer to that question is no. There is no percentage uh, that we are to give. We are free from legalistic giving. Remember, love, not law. Freedom, though, doesn't mean that we're set free to, to, to give less money. We're not, we're, we're not set free to say, well, they had to give that much, but I don't have to give that much because I'm free. And uh, nor, nor does it set us free um, to, to kind of work out the smallest possible amount that we, that we could possibly get away with giving. No, we're set free to give willingly, joyfully, and lovingly from what we have. We're free to give from what we've got. Paul doesn't want us to not have enough. He says he doesn't want the Corinthians to be hard-pressed so that the church in Corinth can be relieved. Rather, he wants equality. And I, I take it that what he means by, by equality there is not everyone having the exact same amount, but everyone having enough. It's been said that Paul is trying to eliminate economic need, not economic diversity. We get a further picture of what that looks like from that Old Testament event that Paul brings up in verse 15. I guess it might have looked a little bit mysterious at face value. But what he's talking about is God's provision of manna to eat for his people when they were roaming in the desert and didn't have enough food. He provided them with manna. They had to go and collect it. Some people collected more. Some people collected less. But everyone had enough. It is not our responsibility to match every other Christian in the amount that they give. It might be our responsibility to match others in willingness and eagerness to give, but not in the actual financial sum. Nor is it our responsibility to go around making sure that all the churches and all the people in all the churches have the exact same amount of money. What we're to do is to look at what we have and willingly and lovingly give what we've decided to give from it. And if, if we're doing that rightly, it will probably hurt a little bit um, to do it. Part of our annual vision this year is to be living sacrifices, you'll remember if you've been with us for any time. And if we're all in, uh, in our annual vision, to be living sacrifices, that will extend to our giving, and we'll be giving sacrificially. And I think that if we're giving sacrificially, we will, we will feel it, we'll notice the lack of it. There will, of course, be exceptions, as ever, uh, to the rule. There are some people who maybe shouldn't be giving financially currently. If you've got unmanageable debt, if giving would mean that you're, you're really not able to support your dependents, for example, perhaps you shouldn't be giving financially at the moment. There are people who are exceptions, and they absolutely should not feel guilty about that. We're only expected to give from what we've got. 
But I suspect that amongst us, just as amongst the Corinthians, the original hearers of this letter, those exceptions will be few and far between. Generally, we are to give. We're not to stray across our our mental picket line into thinking too much about what others are giving or, or trying to minimize the amount that we're giving ourselves, but instead to look at what we've got and prayerfully, willingly, and joyfully give what we've decided to give out of love. So, Christian giving should be a joyful response to having Jesus as our Lord. It's something we should be happy about doing. This this mental picket line that I've been setting up isn't like a prison cell forcing us to give money. It's more like a fence keeping the sheep in the green pasture and protecting them from the wolves. I don't know where you're most naturally inclined to cross over it into wrong thinking about giving, whether you most need to, to remember about love, not law, or put your money where your heart is, or give from what you've got. But it's worth being mindful of it, being careful to have a right attitude towards giving, so that as we we bring our pledge cards, if you're going to do that in a few moments, when we bring those forward, uh, we we can do that with a loving eagerness to give out of the resources that we have at our disposal, with every intention of completing the work by fulfilling our pledges in the coming year. Let's stand to pray.